Hey everyone, we continue our read through the New Testament, and today we are in Revelation 15. Revelation 15, in many ways, is the introductory chapter to the fourth cycle of visions, this time really making up the most of it being the seven bowl judgments, or the seven plagues, as they are often referred to as. And chapter 15 serves as a way to prepare us for those judgments, but what's fascinating is it begins with a picture of worship, of heavenly worship, around the throne, over the reality of God's perfect and true judgment against the wickedness of the nations that will be revealed in the pouring out of these bold judgments. So let's read chapter 15 and uh, see what it has to say. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast, and his image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the ten of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and from His power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we get this beautiful picture, almost a window into heaven once again. And it almost reiterates the same scene of heavenly worship that we saw back in chapters 4 and 5. And we see here fascinating, this amazing picture of what appeared to be right a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass. Now we've already seen the sea of glass before. We know that this sea of glass is a picture of e- evil, a picture of chaos, and the fact that it is on fire now is the reality that it has been judged. God has brought judgment on the chaos and the wickedness and the evil of the world which has produced the beast, which has produced the false prophet. And it is, and the saints here are pictured as singing victory over the judgment of God, the perfect judgment of God. And so they sing the song of Moses, which goes back to Exodus 15, which Moses sings after what? What God had destroyed Pharaoh and his army with the use of what? The sea, right? God brings down the Red Sea upon Pharaoh and the armies as a means of judgment. So what God has safely brought his people through, he now uses as a judgment on the people that sought to hurt his own. So this short but powerful song really gives a fascinating reason why not only individuals but nations, we are told, will come to worship the true and living God. Because his righteous acts, his judgment literally, have been revealed. Since Revelation doesn't often talk about all the nations coming to worship, though ancient Jewish traditions about such things were well known, and the early Christians picked up on them to explain the arrival of so many non-Jews within the people of the Messiah, 
When it does, it is worth pondering closely what it means. What does it mean that the nations are coming? And why is it that his pure acts, his judgment, the revelation of his righteousness, why is that that caught what leads the nations to worship him? You know, when the Bible speaks about God judging or putting effect his, into effect his judgment, it's just as much a cause for celebration as it is for anxiety, right? It is a means of celebration for the people of God as a means of anxiety for those who are against God. Now, Imagine a village in the outlying countryside of Judea. Right? It's a long way from the city, and even traders don't come there that often, far less government officials. A circuit judge comes to the neighboring small town once every few months, if they're lucky. But that doesn't mean that nothing needs doing. A builder is cheated by a customer who refuses to admit his fault. A widow has her small purse stolen, and since she has nobody to plead for her, she can do nothing. A family is evicted from their home by a landlord who thinks he can get more rent from someone else. A fraudster with his eye on the main chance has accused a work colleague of cheating him, and though nothing has been done about it, the other colleagues seem inclined to believe the charge, and so on. Nobody can do anything about any of these until the judge comes. When he comes, expectations will be massive. Months of pent-up frustrations will boil over. The judge will have to keep order to calm down accusation and defense alike. He will have to hear each case properly and fairly, taking special care for those with nobody to speak up for them. He will steadfastly refuse all bribes, and then he will decide judgment will be done. Chaos will be averted and order will be restored. The cheats will be put in their place. The thief punished and made to restore the purse. The grasping landlord will have to give way and the false accuser will suffer the punishment he hoped to inflict. And the village as a whole will have a sigh of relief because justice has been done. The world had been returned into balance. A grateful community will thank the judge from the bottom of its collective heart. Now magnify those village concerns with the global level. The wicked empire, its local henchmen have become more and more powerful, taking money, lives, and pleasures when they please. It's no use of appealing to the other authorities because the other authorities are in bed with this beastly system. So the cry goes up to God as it did the God of Israel when the Egyptians were making their lives more and more miserable. And God's action on behalf of Israel is therefore a great act of liberating, healing, sigh of relief, judgment. Things are put right at last. We would expect, of course, that Israel itself would thank God for his rescue operation, his great act of judgment which has set his people free. But the story of the Exodus, which is once again dominating John's horizon, goes further than that. It isn't only Israel that will see what God has done and give him thanks. The nations will look on and say to themselves, there really is a God in Israel. There really is a God who puts things right, who judges the earth, and saying that they will worship him. For John, as for all the early Christians, there was one great act of judgment above all others, which was already compelling people from many nations to worship Israel's God. God had raised Jesus from the dead after his condemnation as a false Messiah. God had reversed the verdict of the human court. He had done the unthinkable and had demonstrated Jesus to be Messiah after all. What's more, the resurrection proved that the cross itself had been the great spectacular act of judgment in which sin and death were themselves being condemned and executed. 
Now having done all that in Jesus, the Messiah, Israel's God, was demonstrating that the followers of Jesus were his true people, not least through their faithful testimony to Jesus, even on peril of their own death. This is the further judgment which flows from the judgment revealed in the Lamb. It is therefore the martyrs, those who have won the victory over the monster and over its image and over the number of its names, who have discovered that they have come through death as the Israelites had come through the Red Sea. And they are now standing like Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15, singing a new song of praise for the fresh act of judgment which God had performed. The plagues in Egypt have reached a crescendo, and Pharaoh and his people have consented to let the Israelites go. They have gone through the Red Sea, sung the song, and arrived at Mount Sinai. There, with the fire and smoke of divine revelation, God gives Moses the instructions not only about the law itself, but also about the tabernacle, the place of witness or meeting where God himself would come to meet with his people. It was the forerunner of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, in a fresh visionary twist, John sees that heavenly throne room, which is also the heart of the heavenly temple, that it has a tabernacle of witness within it. The tabernacle has been opened not to let Moses or anyone else in, but to let out the angels who were carrying the seven last plagues, not for Egypt, but for Babylon and for the world that had fallen for her seductions. As with the tabernacle in Exodus and with Isaiah's vision of the temple in Isaiah 6, and as with Solomon's dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, the presence of God is shrouded in smoke, making it impossible for ordinary comings and goings. This is a solemn moment. The new song is exuberant and heartfelt. Deliverance has occurred, but now we are homing in on the greatest showdown of them all. We left the dragon and the two monsters behind, Two chapters ago, they have drawn many into their destructive ways. And it is now time for the destroyers to be destroyed, for those who follow them in their wickedness to be destroyed. And this is the purpose of the seven last plagues and of the cataclysmic judgments which will follow them, which we will behold in the seven bowls of God's wrath seen in chapter 16. God bless.